Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Squee Show Best Bits, the podcast which brings you all the best bits from Dr. Squee Radio Show. If you want to catch it live, please listen every Thursday, 9pm to 11pm, or in the new year, in our new time slot from 8pm till 10pm. And if you listen live, you can hear all the music which we don't have the rights to play on the podcast. But for now, please enjoy this. Welcome to the show, with your friend and mine, so tell me Dr. Squee. Who's it gonna be this time? We like to hear you talk, and we love to hear you listen. And if you are not subscribed, you won't know what you're missing. So welcome to the Dark Dusk We Show. Welcome to the Dark Dusk We Show. Welcome to the Dark Dusk We Show. Headphones up. Here we go. Hello and welcome to the Dr. Scree Show. I'm Dr. Scree and this is my show. We've got a great one coming up for you tonight. So first of all, I speak with our station manager and you'll just heard him on his own show right there on the bear. It's, of course, Al Galpin and he's going to be talking about the bear, how it came to be and, of course, the future plans uh, for this here radio station. We've got uh, Anivab Pal, who's the stand-up comedian. He's all the way from Mumbai. I spoke to him earlier on the year, uh, but we've never got around to broadcasting this interview until now. And he speaks about co-hosting the Bugle podcast, how he helped found a stand-up comedy in India, and so much more. It was absolutely a great chat. We're going to kick things off in a moment with our first tune. We've got a few tunes tonight. Oh, and also, of course, we've got the big question of the week, and that is, where have you travelled for Christmas? So tell us about uh, where were you, you were able to travel to in better times than these. It's kind of meant to make us think of the good times. Hopefully it's not bumming everyone's shit out. But anyway, before we get to the tunes tonight, I heard just before we went on air that uh, sadly Jeremy Bullock has passed away. Now, for anyone who doesn't know who he is, he played Boba Fett in the original Star Wars films, a character which meant so much to so many, recently brought back in The Mandalorian. And I got to meet him at a con once, and he had guest appeared in Doctor Who and a number of other TV shows, but uh, I just never met anyone who's so kind, so open and free with his time, and unfortunately we haven't had time to pull the interview which I did with him out of the archives, but um, but he, he was just uh, one of those lovely people you meet at conventions, and uh, everyone else who I know who met him never had a bad word to say, but look, on to happier things now. I'm going to kick things off with a tune requested by my dear Lady Nicola, and she asked me to play Sweet Dreams by Marilyn Manson. So here we go, headbangers. Spielberg and Headlights. That goes out to my son who requested that one, so uh, there you go, Stu. So uh, we've got a few answers to the big question of the week. This is, where did you travel to for Christmas and what did you do there? So uh, Martin Croft, who um, some people may know Martin Croft as the Pan Man from Britain's Got Talent, my buddy. And he's put, I went shopping outside Christmas Eve in New Zealand in an outside shopping mall. It was boiling, the sun was out and an electrical shop had Santa outside, I believe he means Santa outside, singing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. It was so surreal as if it would snow for starters. Uh, yeah, that's kind of a hell of one. Bob Garth's put, uh, I had a very cold Christmas in Toronto one year. We visited Niagara Falls when the temperature was minus 23 degrees. 
It was wonderful. We didn't realise there were so many malls and passageways there built under the streets to save people from walking outside in the winter. Uh, wow, what a wonderful time that must have been. Diane Gross has put, she went to the parental grandparents, so I believe she means her parents, which are her kids' grandparents, uh, to their apartment for their December the 25th anniversary. How else to have a party when you're Jewish? Well, of course, we wouldn't begrudge anyone that. And, you know, of course, if you've got any Hanukkah stories, share those too. We're not, you know, uh, denominational here or anything like that. Surely we're going to be going over to my interview with Al Galpin. But before that, let's hear one more tune. Let's go for Concrete Schoolyard. And this is Jurassic 5. You listen to the bear. We were sitting out on the step, you know. I'm now joined by our um our CEO, our like chairman of the board, the head honcho here at the Bear Radio. And if you think this is just some insidious plot to kind of just plug our own radio station on the radio station, you'd be completely right. Please welcome to the show. Alan Galpin, how are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, well, thank you for, for hosting us here. Like, uh, what a kind of crazy journey it's been uh, launching the bear. I mean, how did this all start, deciding to launch, uh, not only deciding to launch a radio station, which is no small task, especially when you've got a young child like you have, but you decided to do it in 2020. Isn't that just tempting fate? Well, it seemed like the idea was time to do it, really. We all, so many of us sat around at home, looking for, for something to do. Um, and it was from listening to other people do similar things and seeing various people online, yeah, I'd like to do a radio show, but obviously not being able to get on any other radio station to do it. But well, so I just started looking online about, you know, what, what are the tech specifications? What are, you know, what are the, the legal things? What do we have to do if we want to actually make it happen? And I was like, well, you know what? It's actually not beyond the realms of possibility. If we can get a few of us together, split the costs for, for the licensing and what have you and uh, ask people for donations and whatnot, which is what we've done. But yeah, it's, it's, once the idea came into my head, it, it all moved pretty quickly, really, in actually making it an actual thing. And how quickly did you manage to get it from, like, idea to this living, breathing radio station we're on right now? Uh, it's probably about two, three months, maybe. The, the idea dawned on me to do it late summer um and then uh, one of my co-hosts on the WPS society darren mentioned about potentially doing stuff around the podcast network and that's when the kind of the idea came to merge the two ideas that we'd had into into one and do it as as the bear and what some of the challenges been about kind of launching a radio station? I mean, like, just first of all, it's insane that in this day and age, it takes three months to get a radio station off the ground. So kudos to you for doing that. But it's just wonderful that technology exists. But sorry, yeah, back to my question. Yeah, uh, you could, yeah. I mean, it could literally, you, you can get up, on, up and running in, in, in a day if you really wanted to. It's just for us, what took the time was to pay the groundwork, to get people involved, uh, and also raise the money to pay for the, the music licensing. Uh, which we're having to do, and which we're still having to do, because we the one of the licensing is is paid up to November. The other one then is due, you know, in January. So, if anyone listening wants to keep this show on air, uh, head to the website, click on the, the donate button, and give us a couple of quid. We'll really help 
to, to pay for that, that next license. That's all it pays for. That's the only running costs. Yep. The, the monthly costs of, of the actual streaming is something that I can pay for. It's just the licensing. Just need a little bit of money to pay for licensing, and then we're all good. So that, that's, that's where we are. Yeah, it's worth saying we are not for profit radio. We're just doing this for the love of radio and for the love of bringing entertainment to the people. And, you know, obviously, in my case, the love of my own voice. But that's another story. So, uh, Al, like, just tell us a bit about, like, uh, the wonderful lineup on the bear and kind of how many shows you've got going on now. And, like, I believe you do 100 yourself. <laughs> well, I, I was. I'm cutting that down. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, there's, there's a few. Um, We've got, what's, I'll tell you as well, what we're happening in the new year is that things are going to move around slightly so that every night is kind of similar. So what we're going to have is start of evening every day will be at six o'clock with uh, the wonderful Pfizer Hakeem who does a pop vinyl show. She plays some great pop and indie music and also talks through entertainment news. She does that four nights a week. Um, and then from seven, we'll be having a an hour of specialist music show. So it might be Northern Soul, it might be uh, country, it might be something else. It'll be a bit different each night. And then uh, from eight o'clock, that's where the kind of live shows start. The main block will be throughout that. So on Monday nights, we've got the playlist with Darren, who does a different uh, playlist around a different theme every night. On Tuesdays, it will become me. I'm moving the Bear Cave to Tuesdays. Uh, um, Wednesday will be the podcast show, so it'll just be random different podcasts each week. On Thursday, it's yourself, yep. and then on Friday, it's uh, micro music with Tony, who does new unsigned independent artists. So, am I, am I going to lose my awesome lead in with you now? Uh, yes, yeah, we're on different nights now moving forward in the new year. Uh, are we going to get competitive over this somehow? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. No, no I don't. And then, at, then at ten o'clock is the where the podcasts will then live. So we'll we'll have different ones each night from um, sports bill, sporting interviews on Monday, uh, man on the post football podcast on a Tuesday, a partly political broadcast uh, with Tin and Duyip on a Wednesday night, uh, talking cods one on Thursday, yeah. uh, and then the Betamax Video Club on a Friday, and then obviously lots more stuff over the weekend as well. Well, that's the main core lineup Monday to Friday. Wonderful. And yeah, we should say while we're here on our last kind of show being bumper to bumper, we're going to actually do a mashup show on New Year's Eve. Going to be pre-recorded actually for the next couple of weeks, Christmas and New Year's. We're going to be pre-recorded certainly for the uh, Dr. Squeeze show on Thursdays uh, just because it's Christmas and New Year's and, you know, might want a bit of time off over that period. So pre-recording a couple of shows. New Year's Eve, though, you and I are going to sort of do a big mashup show. Absolutely, yes. It's our kind of a, a big finale of us both being on the, on the same night. So we thought, yeah, why not? Let's uh, get involved, make it one big show, and uh, make it extra special. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. And uh, so, what you know, give us the pitch as well for kind of new shows coming in, because I know you're always keen to keep on expanding the network. Yes, indeed. We're always on the lookout for, for new people. Uh, like I say, we've got main shows set up throughout uh, the week, but we are those those. Uh, Specialist music shows for an hour at seven o'clock. There's some of those slots are still open, looking to fill those. We've also got got the rest of the daytime and more time over the weekends where there's uh, space for new shows. We're also currently working some on new stuff, so you might start to see uh, some new things. I mentioned the the Northern Soul show there. That's a new one starting in January. Um, my show also will be changing to a two-hour one from January, so that'll be a, 
extra stuff in there. Uh, we've got other things. We've lined up uh, a sitcom that I think you are familiar with, uh, Squee, uh, that will be starting uh, in the new year uh, for a limited run, uh, a few episodes to get people interested in, called Forza Crowd. Uh, so that will be, I think, Friday evenings. We'll put that on. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard that there's a narrator called Ian on it, which sounds a little bit like me. Um, he, he's a distant yeah. relative, but um, yeah, yeah, I, I've heard it's really good, and you should listen to it. And the narrator is awesome, and he also does some silly voices every now and again for other parts. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so that's something else new. But yeah, if anyone else is out there listening who wants to get involved and do something, just get in touch. Go to the bear live forward slash join. You find out all the details you need to to get involved, uh, and you too may be able to have a, a show. You can do live, you can do pre-recorded. Or, or if you've got a radio show that you syndicate to other stations, you can send that to us as well. We're happy to play those out. We've got quite a few of those. Yeah, and also, just getting back to what we were saying earlier about, you know, if you donate uh, to the network, it's only to keep us on air and to keep things uh, improving and getting better. Yep. So I know kind of like... Uh, you know, as with any new radio station, we've had a few tech issues, not just me forgetting to unmute my microphone, but also some legit ones. <laughs> so um, I know that, you know, when you get more money and it just kind of helps us sharpen our game even further. Absolutely. Yes. Um, anything we make beyond the licensing will, will be, you know, like I said, we'll improve the tech, improve the streaming quality if we can. Uh, and uh, provide, the, provide the station, get more people involved, get more people uh, listening, listening. So more ears on us would be good. And as the bear goes into, you know, I, I know we've only been going for a few months, but going into its second calendar year, what are kind of your ambitions for the new year for the uh, the radio show, or for the radio station? Uh, just to get more people, more ears on it, like I say, and uh, get more people aware of what we're doing, uh, get more people listening. If we can get some shows as well for, for daytime, people who maybe have a day off or willing to do some stuff during the day, uh, bit of fun, I think that would be great because obviously that's where a lot of people are sat around working at home still. Uh, it's been a great opportunity to get ears on on the station at that time of day if we can uh, sort something out there. And seriously, man, just when do you sleep? Like between this, the kid, everything, <laughs> just just you're just insane. Yeah, yeah, there is, I have been a bit worn out uh, this, this this week. I was going to do a podcast this Tuesday and I'm in the country show on the Sunday, and I didn't do either of those because I just feel a bit wiped out. And moving forward. Uh, Mike the Bear Cave will be the one actual radio show I do. I'm going to drop the country show and get someone else to do a country show because it was just one one show too many. wasn't getting prepped enough for it. And uh, the Dead Piet show, show will be still on, on the station but won't be live anymore uh, just to make things a little bit easier to give myself a little bit more time to uh, do other things. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's a tiring time. But, you know, we'll come around and do anything else at the minute. So put, put my energy into this while I can. And the only good thing is, like, you are a, a something I can point to. So when uh, my beloved Nicholas says to me that I'm taking on too much, doing too many projects, I go, look, Al's got more than me, so you make me look better at least. No, I, I, <laughs> no, I say the opposite. I say the same to, to Kitty. Uh, like, Should we bother with this? I'd like, well, if you can command your this, then, then I can. I mean, we're both people who have done 24-hour uh, podcast projects before. And even 36 was your longest, wasn't it? Yes, it was, yeah. I mean, just, yeah, I'm like going, oh, 24 hours straight through, that'll be kind of in the same project. You're going, yeah, hold my beer, 36 hours. <laughs> well, I like to try and make the most of the weekend, you know, start one morning, finish the following night, it, you know, the whole, the whole two-day thing. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, looking back, I probably wouldn't do it again, but it was fun. And I know you're, you're moving away from the country uh, um, music show, but, uh, you know, t tell us a bit about your love of country music, because I, I love 
finding that out about you is kind of a bit quirky. Yeah, it's a bit. Uh, there's not that many uh, country fans around in the UK, but uh, I, I, to be honest, I can't exactly pinpoint where it came from, where it started. I would just uh, there were a few. I, I think if you go back to the kind of nineties, there were probably a few crossover country hits that made the charts that I probably quite liked when I was a bit younger. Yeah. Um, and then I've been to the states a couple of times and listened, you know, just listening to the radio. I sit the radio on in the cars and driving around the Grand Canyon and listening to that kind of stuff. It was quite good. And um, I think getting more into it when it became more mainstream over here, you got your own. I mean, there are radio stations specifically for country music in this country now. There's a couple of them, more than one of them, um, and country shows on, on mainstream national stations. And so just listening to that and hearing stuff that I quite enjoyed and just ended up listening to more. You know, on Spotify and stuff like that, uh, and I think partly as well the the TV show Nashville. Um, well, I started watching it for the drama, and I ended up watching it because I liked the music. Yeah, I do find it actually really interesting. I think in the world of streaming, it's kind of uh, democratized different types of music, if you will. So, like <laughs> yes. in America, they've always had a bigger scene for different styles of music, and I think that's come over here now, which I think is a great plus. You hear a lot more kind of different styles of music, which is lovely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you listen, I, I have been, got a bit older and moved away from mainstream chart radio. Um, I hadn't listened to you know Top 40 in, in a long time. So when I started trying to put playlists together and get the music ready for, for the bit, I instantly, you know, my first port of call was to check what's in the charts. Listening to stuff from there, stuff I've never heard of, artists I've never heard of, genres that I've never heard of. Uh, so yeah, there is a whole wealth of different types of music out there. We try and get a fair amount of that on the bear if we can yeah i do find being over 40 stops me checking out the top 40 ironically <laughs> yeah yeah exactly we're, we're out of the top 40 now yeah <laughs> we are literally out of the top 40 i like that <laughs> just finally uh, we have a big question of the week on this show so this week it's all about christmas and uh people traveling because obviously this year we're limited we can't travel for christmas have you ever traveled anywhere else for christmas Al? Uh, no, the furthest I've ever been away is you know to the to the mother-in-law up near Cambridge, uh, or some of my brothers in Oxford, or you know it's just to various family within the UK. Nothing too exciting because Christmas is also my birthday, so we've never we've never gone away, we've never done anything. Um, I think there was a plan that we at the beginning of this year, or maybe even last year, we thought about we would all get a massive house together this year somewhere nice, uh, but obviously that fell through. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we've never, I'm sorry to say that I, I don't have an answer for you on that one. Actually, it, do, it does remind me of, a, of um, a great Christmas story that involves you. One year, I was walking to my mum's in Romsey uh, from Southampton. I thought, look, you know what? It'd be a, what a wonderful thing to do with my dog as opposed to doing the usual walk with Dottie. I'll walk yeah. to, to my mum's in Romsey. And you went past in the car and beat your heart. And like I waved to you. And I messaged you later on Facebook, I think, to say it's like, right, I, I stood on the side of the road just for your Christmas and birthday, just to say hi. <laughs> yes, yes, that was very nice for you to, to, to wave us out of town as we were going. I think that's when we were going up to Oxford. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've blown it now, but I was trying to pretend like I was going up and down the common for hours before you went past. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas, Al. Thank you very much for popping on. You too, mate. And uh, we'll, we'll speak together and we'll get ready for New Year's. Awesome. See you in New Year's. Thanks, Al. Oh, yeah, by the way, really... Al, do you want do you want us to play you out with something? Oh, you know what? Go on then. What do you fancy? It's one of it's basically my favourite song of all time. Uh, Hugh Lewis and the News, Power of Love. Oh, 
always got time for Huey Lewis. Here is Huey Lewis and the news, Power of Love, brought to you by Al. That was our Power of Love double bill. You first heard Power of Love by Hugh Lewis and the News and then Power of Love by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Um, you see what I did there? So one kind of more kind of everyday fun pop song and one a Christmas song. That's what we're trying to do. Bit of a mix here. We don't want to go full Christmas just yet. We've got next week with our Christmas special, the Dr. Squeed Christmas show. But for now, uh, let's go through some more of your answers to the big question of the week. So uh, Fred has written in, uh, Fred Rawlins, the furthest I've traveled for Christmas is Egypt. We went there for our honeymoon. We had a great time quad biking through the desert on Christmas Day. Hey, that, whatever floats your boat, that's definitely something different for Christmas. I'm actually going to share my story at this time. So uh, once we went over to Ireland when I was a kid. Uh, my mum's from Ireland, so, uh, you know, I, I am a son of Ireland, if you will. And we went over there. Uh, and as I remember, I think my brothers were fully grown, so it was just me and my parents. Uh, but my parents forgot the presents, or more precisely, my dad forgot them, and suddenly realised when he was at the airport. So it had a mad dash around, uh, I think it was Belfast Airport, quickly grabbing up some duty-free stuff. And luckily, uh, as it would happen, I do love a giant Toblerone, or at least did at the time, and being vegan it's kind of ruined that for me but uh so like dad was just dashing around buying whatever he could so he can make up a stocking worth of stuff and he was saying to me it's like look you will get your main presents when we get back to england so i got two christmases out of it i was already gonna get two because we we're over in ireland and all the relatives over there and i just got extra presents so i was like yes yeah, score victory i didn't mind waiting a little while if i got extra prezzies um, but please do write in. Let us know if you've ever travelled anywhere for Christmas. Uh, but in a moment, we're going to go over to my interview with Anna Vab Powell. But first of all, let's hear some more tunes. So uh, let's go over now. Let's keep up the Christmas spirit. Let's go in for a bit of uh, Silent Night. And this is the version by Boys to Men. This is the best. More music. Non-stop commercial-free music, bringing everyone awesome radio. The Bear. That was Queen, A Winter's Tale. Now, uh, we're going to get on to my main interview of the night. This is with Anuvab Powell from the Bugle podcast, which he uh, regularly guest co-hosts with Andy Zaltzman as well as uh, being a fantastic stand-up comedian. You can check out his special, which is well worth it, on uh, Amazon Prime. So uh, please do look that up today. It's certainly on the UK, uh, Amazon Prime, and I'm sure it is around the world. And uh, we had a grand time talking. This was recorded. Uh, you're probably sick to death of me saying about it, but you're nearly at the end of these interviews from Squeefest, which was a 24-hour podcast we did for charity, for NHS Charities Together. During COVID times, we want to do a little bit to help out. And the link, which is in this uh, interview, is still live, uh, even though this was recorded a few months back. And we're at the stage where I'm sharing with you the interviews which happened kind of later on in the event, when I'm just starting to flag a bit. And uh, <laughs> like next week's going to be the last interview I've got to share from this, which is going to be me speaking to uh, Darth Elvis. But that's for next week. And uh, at this kind of 8 a.m. mark, because we started um, at 2 p.m. and we're going through to 2 p.m., this is, yeah, like 16 hours in, whatever it works out as. 
and I'm really starting to feel kind of punchy. I'm really starting to to lose all grip on reality. And Anubab's tech started going, which was fun. So he cuts out a few times, but he always comes back. And uh, it's it's kind of quite funny to hear myself um, so just out of it at this stage. It kind of gets a bit surreal. It's before the second wind hits me from near the end of the event. Uh, but but like Anavab's great. He he's just got such an interesting take on things. I think I love the fact that where he uh, you know we were doing this over the internet and he was in M- Mumbai. You'll hear me mentioning Facebook Live. That's just because that's what we uh, streamed on, as well as Twitch. And uh, he's just always got a, just a different take on things that I might not have thought of. And we had a really interesting time. We talk about kind of statues being toppled and the relevance of them in this day and age. Talk about a few of his earlier stand-up gigs, given that uh, stand-up wasn't a big thing in India when he started. And so much more. It's just a really great time. But without further ado, here is my interview with Anuvab Pal. I am now going to welcome my next guest. Uh, he is a stand-up comedian. He's got a special on Amazon and a uh, also a sitcom on there and he guest stars on the bugle he's a wonderful comedian i like to call him a national treasure now of course he's not from my nation but that never stopped the british before so i'm just going to claim him as our own please welcome to the dr squeeze show anivad pal hello hello sir how are you how are you i'm starting to lose my voice now i'm not gonna lie (laughs) Uh, how long has it been now for you? Sixteen hours, seventeen hours, seventeen hours. Uh, so I'm in the, the 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 good thing is because Facebook uh, makes you stream in eight hour chunks, like so that's the maximum you can stream. It meant I had to do three streams. So knowing I'm in the final stream, it kind of gives you a countdown of the last eight hours. So it right. feels like I'm achieving something by just by being in the last stream. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, if it's any help and to give you sort of um, uh, enduring stories from other parts of the world, uh, the uh, Indian Prime Minister just celebrated his 70th birthday and a young millennial gentleman decided to repeat his name for 24 hours straight. Uh, this is the sort of... Uh, he, he did seven hours and then he fainted. But, um, you know... <laughs> He clearly must like the Prime Minister. Yeah, I, um, I, I don't know what to say to that. I like, I, I <laughs> except, but like, I don't even know the Prime Minister's name to say that. So I don't, I don't know what the right response is to, to that level of, of weird. It's, uh, there is something which I really enjoyed. Uh, I first of all came across you um, uh, from the Beagle podcast. I'm a huge fan of that. And you're one of the voices, uh, and it's been wonderful since uh, as much of it was uh, sorry to lose John Oliver from that show, and I loved his voice on there. It's been wonderful, like, learning loads of different voices and different people from different parts of the world. And I just love kind of hearing the take from India. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of probably going to jump around the uh, the map a bit on this one. Oh, we've lost you for a sec there, Annabelle, but you still Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm back, yeah. Excellent. Uh Something which I loved watching your stand-up special on on Amazon, which is available now um, uh, live at 40, is that correct? Live at 40, yeah. I watched that. I love hearing you say stuff like just as matter-of-factly, because you can, because it's kind of a brotherly thing of different nations of India, which just make my sphincter go, "Mm." like it's it's when you're speaking about like, uh, and the Punjabi are like this, I'm like, hmm. Ooh, ooh, are we allowed to say this? Because, like, obviously, if I was saying that, that would not be necessarily cool. Uh, do yeah. you find that where you're working for a kind of 
for different audiences around the world. You suddenly find stuff which you just say so matter-of-factly gets a different reaction. Well, you know, the most interesting thing has been uh, the last three years, uh, you know, being uh, telling stories about the empire in the UK. Um, and, you know, basically, um, I make a lot of jokes about the empire. You know, I, it's not whether it was good or bad, but, you know, this silly thing happened and that silly thing happened. And uh, initially I used to notice because it was the empire and uh, how much guilt there is associated with it, um, and how bad people feel about it, I'd see people sort of tense up and sort of think, can we talk about this? Can we uh, make fun of this? As in, Because the, the core idea was, you know, people feel so guilty that it even happened. But I realized that, that being from the country that was colonized, it's easier to make the jokes. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of kind of like uh, uh, things which people complain about stuff they're not allowed to say. And it's just like, I mean, I think it's just a position of power kind of thing. <laughs> like, you know, people who looked a lot like me, who are my sex, who are my sexual orientation, who are all those things which I am in the Venn diagram very heavily of, were not very nice people in history. So there's a reason probably why it's not the best idea for me to say certain things off the bat. Are you there, Anavab? You've frozen for a second, sir. The pleasures of live TV, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I mean, <laughs> I'm really quite lucky that there has been uh, the few hiccups there have been along the way here. Like, uh, generally, things could have gone really a lot worse. Hi, um, hi I've just switched Wi-Fi providers. It's never happened before. I, I don't know what's going on. But, uh, yeah, we should be okay now. Um, yeah, I was just getting onto the whole thing of like it is a it's it's an interesting position. I don't know what the answer is, and I just wonder what your perspective of, of this is. But uh, I I kind of get why like someone who looks like me, who's got my kind of my hue, my skin, uh, my gender, my sexual orientation. There's a lot of people who looked a lot like me who did some really uncool shit, and I get why it's not okay for me to say certain things before it's brought up. Certainly by by someone who may be has been in the less position of power historically. What's yeah. your take on this? I, look, I feel anyone can say anything. You know, uh, I, I feel anyone should be allowed to say anything. You know, like, just because 200 years ago, some people, um, you know, did a thing about colony, does that mean no one can say anything ever in a very different world? You know, I don't know. I'm not a... I'm not a big fan of, like, I think if someone has experience and knowledge about a thing and has an interesting perspective, why should it matter where they're from? Uh, you know, like, it's not like if 200 years later, someone is making a joke about the British Empire, that person was responsible for the British Empire. I, I actually have a relative. I have a very, uh, my cousin is married to uh, an English gentleman whose family was uh, uh, sort of, they were generals during, uh, a mutiny in India. And when they were getting married, he was very worried that he'd come to India and, you know, they'd remember that because his great-grandfather was a general who was responsible for some sort of massacre. And he was really sort of worried. You know, it says. And he came to Delhi for his wedding and no one came. Nobody remembered. They were just like, yeah, you know, do you love this girl? Why do you love it? And he was like, does no one care about history? And the point is that he always obviously carried this burden. And of course, some horrible thing has happened in history. But we're in 2017, we're in a garden in Delhi, no one cares. He's getting married, you know. 
which is not to say that historians shouldn't write about it, but I think comedians, right, they should tell whatever stories that they, they want to tell. Um, I, I always find that, I always find that the moment you put put any sort of category like a certain person because they a nation has a certain history, can't talk about a certain thing, uh, it just makes it, I don't know, silly for me, you know? Um, there's a lot of talk of statues being torn down and there was a particular statue in Trafalgar Square of a particular British general who killed a lot of uh, Indian, well, now revolutionaries, right? And there was a lot of talk that they should pull down a statue. But his statue, he in the town he did it in, in Lucknow, is uh, alive and well and polished every day. You know, what about that? <laughs> Clearly, the, the people he did it for have a statue for him. So what the hell is going on? You know, so... Uh, um, Andy Zaltzman, uh, with whom I do the bugle, we went on a sort of uh, statue search long before all of this was a controversy. We did a little thing for Radio 4 where we tried to find statues of the empire, both in Calcutta, which is my hometown, and and London, and tried to see, you know, uh, who remembers what. And most people we asked in London had no idea whose statues they were. You know, they had no clue if the person was a good person or a bad person. And similar in India, you know, um, they had no idea why there were random statues of Englishmen in different street corners in India. They had no idea who they were. They figured they must have been important. Um, so, you know, it gets muddled up. So I don't know. I, I could be wrong. Uh, but I just sort of feel I, I realize that the current political climate says not everyone can say everything. But I feel one should. Why shouldn't they? It's interesting. I mean, the one thing which that says to me about statues is they should be taken down, not for the offence, just because they're not doing their job. No one knows who the fuck they are. Let's just get rid of them. They're just they're useless at this stage. Yeah, yeah. Or yesterday I read something that William Dalrymple had written saying that there should be like a statue uh, museum. So like if you were like a famous colonialist or a slave owner or, uh, you know, something like that, uh, people should go to the museum and get the whole history of who you were. So you were probably a great philanthropist, great scholar, linguist, but also, you know, uh, were involved in a small-scale massacre. <laughs> like, that should all... Oh, Anivab, are you still there, my friend? I feel like this might be an interview in chunks, people. This might be like a... Uh, we'll, we'll have a section. We'll talk for a bit. The Wi-Fi will gonna go out on Anivab. Then he'll rejoin. We're going to get this this interview in bite-sized pieces. Um, I've had worse things happen in this, well, in life in general, in this last 24 hours. We tried to play a game last night, and um, it just kept on uh, cutting out. Yesterday, day, last night, whatever it is. Uh, let's bring a comment from the floor while we're waiting. Thaddeus Howes, we build monuments to forget history. Probably true. Um I mean, I want to say more, but I want to wait for Anivab so I can talk to him about it. But um, to say bite-sized interview, everything's just just surreal right now. What can I say? He'll be back in a second. It's all good. I hope you're all enjoying this at home. I hope uh, uh, you're having a good 24 hours. By the way, justgiving.com slash squeefest if you want to donate to the NHS and uh, help the people fighting on the front lines of COVID. Uh, it's it's a funny old 24 hours. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, yeah, it's kind of the moment where you could just power through if you just have a conversation with someone like me and Anvab there. That was very nice. And ah, he is back. Really sorry. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on with the Wi-Fi today. Normally, 
the Wi-Fi is really bad in India, but shockingly during the pandemic, it's been quite good. Uh, I was able to do a full uh, play last night for the Soho Theatre in London, which was live. And I don't know what's happened this morning. I think, uh, I think maybe the Indian Wi-Fi has something against the NHS. I have no idea. <laughs> I was saying, it's wonderful. We're going to have this great interview, but in bite-sized chunks. It's just going to be a little <laughs> bit. And out of our Wi-Fi, it breaks up. Back, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit, give you some time to digest, and we'll go yes. again. Get it. Deep, heavy topics. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We'll give you some time to, to get the mental sorbet going in between courses. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Good place as any. Uh, uh, what was the, the play you were doing, sir? Soho decided, Soho Theatre um, had a hit play, a Danish play that they were doing for a long time uh, called the, A Boss of It All. It's a comedy about a person pretending to be the boss of, a, a, of an office. An actor is hired to be the boss of an office. I'm, I'm really sort of ruining the summary of it. But basically, it's a comedy where they, where they hire like a Royal Shakespeare Company actor to pretend to be the boss because the boss doesn't want to fire all the people wants to do it through an actor and says, oh, I'm not the boss of it all. This person is the boss of it all. And they're doing it on Zoom. They're doing a live play. And they thought they'd be very ambitious and get actors from different parts of the world to do it. Uh, so it was, so I was here and, uh, you know, someone was in the United States and a lot of the cast were in London and we did a full play. And I was convinced that, you know, what's happening now you know, with the Wi-Fi dropping would happen in the middle of my line or something. Uh, and none of that <laughs> happened. But what did happen was, uh, so it was an hour and a half. It was a full play with people signing up and paying for it and all of that. But I had forgotten a line in the middle of the second act. And so I paused a little, right? And it looked like I was frozen. So then the stage manager kept writing in the chat, are you frozen? Are you okay? I'm frozen. And I just didn't have the courage to say I'd forgotten a line. And so he kept saying, is it human error? And I was just looking for the line. So he thought that it was a Wi-Fi thing, but it wasn't. Today's, unfortunately, is genuinely a Wi-Fi thing. Yeah, yeah. For the love of God, don't sit still. I'll be so worried you dropped out again. You are not, <laughs> yeah. not like to be stationary, sir. I'm just going to keep moving around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, uh, 30s have just added, uh, load balancing in the morning may be causing your outages. I have yes, no idea what that means. That's, uh, I, I, I think that, that this person is probably like knowledgeable about load balances, whatever that is. Maybe it's a thing in Wi-Fi and the internet. I have no idea. But that's what happens when you live in a country with 600 million young people. Everybody's always downloading something. You know? That's the problem. <laughs> I think if you have 600 million of anything in a country, anything. it's going to cause some issues. This is true. This is true. And that's only half the population. Yeah. And that's just in your town. Th that's just in my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understood you had large families around there, but come on. I do. I do. I do. Look, my six million uncles like to get online at the same time and read The Guardian. I can't help it. Yeah, I believe like you've just gone down to the rule of six million in Delhi recently. Yeah, yeah. Just my uncles. It's just six million uncles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Thaddeus has just put, I'm an IT technician. Like, you know, all you had to do was say the word load balancing, and that just sounded like good enough to me. It sounded like a thing, so I just took it as writ that it was. You know what's really sweet is it seemed like Thaddeus also wanted to help us, you know, like he was seeing us. 
and yeah. seeing this happen. And I think he was like, Anufab, I know how to fix this. You know? <laughs> so like, you know. Well, as I say, we're going to like uh, go all over the map with this. One thing which I am asking my guests uh, on this event is, uh, I've been asking people over here about like the NHS. What is the health service uh, like over there for you? Well, we don't... Our public health infrastructure is appalling, absolutely appalling. But we got private private hospitals. It's a bit like America, actually. Uh, we have no. Um, I mean, it's not like America in terms of like first world service, but it's like America in in terms of the fact that if you can afford it, private healthcare is available, and it, and and government healthcare is is atrocious. Just awful. Like it's just, I can't even think of a comedic angle. Like it's just, it's it's terrible. It's uh, but you know, I had a, I had an aunt and uncle uh, who both lived in Scotland their whole lives, and they were doctors. And uh, well, my uncle was a doctor, and they passed away in Scotland. And and I'm very thankful to the NHS. Like it was incredible how much care they took of them. Just because uh, they were, you know, they'd never had any kids, and they were they lived outside Glasgow their whole lives. Um, so, you know, they migrated in the 60s and I used to go visit them uh, way before I... The irony is that both of them passed away in, in Scotland way before I started doing my Edinburgh. So yeah. uh, the, so my, my first brush with the United Kingdom was seeing them when they were unwell in hospital in Glasgow. Uh, and I remember my first trip to England, I thought... My God, this this these people are really nice. Like this is all free, you know. Like, what? Because I came from a, a healthcare system where a lot of old people save a lot of money in their old age in India to get decent healthcare. Um, yeah. So you know, it's uh, it's assumed that if you are retired or on a pension, you would keep away a chunk of your money for an emergency because you don't trust the government hospital infrastructure. Yeah, I, I'm getting feeling uh, trust and government don't go hand in hand uh, uh, over there in Mumbai. Yeah, 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 exactly. Everywhere in India. I mean, even during COVID, if you have the money, I think, uh, and maybe this is true for everyone in the world, but if you have the money, yeah, you can get a really nice COVID bed, etc. And the government is trying, but it's a really awful public health care system. You know, so how many... COVID beds are you going to get for a billion people, you know, at 12 rupees? You can't. You don't have the money. It's just uh, so, you know, if you're willing to pay, I don't know, a thousand pounds a day, of course, you can get a nice bed and ventilators and all of that. So it's uh, it's it's very much healthcare is very much money here. You know, it's very it's quite cruel like that. I do love when I hear uh, some of your takes on like uh, America and the UK and you're going, it's like, oh, that's corruption, is it? That's cute. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no idea. Yeah, they have no idea. I, I often read some of the outrage that goes on, you know, in the United Kingdom about rights and, and uh, things. Uh, it's, that's why I love bringing a perspective, you know, that says, you know, you think you have it bad. You think that's bad. But at the same time, you know, what is really frightening is the whole world is becoming the same. You know, the I mean, America for me gives me a lot of hope because it's very much like India now. You know, the press just say whatever the hell they want. You know, it's just, you know, you would think, oh, uh, the first world has different standards. You know, we have perhaps 
you know, there is a hierarchy, that there is a certain sort of rule of law and there's a certain thing that one aspires to. But now, fortunately, the whole world is become like that, you know, where you can say whatever you want. It's just false information, you know, no respect for rule of law. It's uh, so you think to yourself, oh, maybe the whole world is India. You know, it's almost like a goodness gracious me sketch. <laughs> uh, what I'm particularly enjoying such a loose term at this stage. But what I'm finding interesting, shall we say, at the moment is like it seems like. Trump's taking these big, bold moves, like un unprecedented uh, for a president in America. And it's like, it's almost like Boris Johnson sitting back with a bag of popcorn going, yeah, I'm having some of that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's try yeah. that. You know, I, I, I think you enjoy this. Boris Johnson is very popular in India. And, and, and I'll tell you why. Because I think that there is a certain kind of notion that the Commonwealth has of an Englishman. You know, I think they get it from the movies. They get it from, you know, someone who's very erudite, disheveled hair, well-spoken, jokes. You know, like like the a person, like a Basil Fawlty, like a person you'd find in like a Victorian novel. You know, like they have this notion that an Englishman is... So they're not really listening to him. So they think that it's, he's very funny, you know, that he's saying these things that sounds like an Englishman, like out of out of something from a hundred years ago. And they say, oh, we recognize this. This is so English. You know, so they don't realize how different the world is and how cosmopolitan Britain is and how just saying words in a bombastic way, the very erudite panel is not going to solve 21st century problems, right? Like, yeah. But they like that. They somehow like the fact that, and I'm quite astonished by that. Like, regardless of what my own politics is, I'm quite astonished by the fact that, you know, the... The, it's almost like he's playing an Englishman from the movies. <laughs> People love that. It's like, in fact, it's even. It feels even once removed from that. Between him and Jacob, Jacob Rees Mogg, it's like someone's taken a stereotype of, of the yeah. British and they described it to someone and yeah. they've written them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like you know how you'd have a bo a Bond villain or or a villain in the Hollywood movie or you know. Like you think, oh, this is an Englishman. He's wearing a double-breasted suit. You know, he's going for a walk. <laughs> His son's name is Thaddeus or whatever. You know, it's just, you know, uh, Maximilian. You just think the whole thing seems like out of a film. You know, like you, you think there's no acknowledgement to the present and how sort of big it is. So, um, and the world likes that. I think for some reason, like my parents, for example, that generation, they think, oh, yes, Boris Johnson, he speaks so well. He's so educated <laughs> because they're tied into some notion from some hundred years ago. Well, I've got to this point in uh, this event, like 17 and a half hours in, whereby everything seems a little surreal. Like, you know, I have to judge things by, well, is it reasonable to think that something's happening or I'm just imagining it at this stage? And it's given me great comfort, like, is it reasonable, reasonable to believe that our prime minister is described on Wikipedia as having at least five children? That can't be real. I've imagined that. That's all that's happened. Yeah. This yeah. is all one big hallucination. Donald Trump's the president of America. That didn't happen. What am I thinking? Oh, I'm going to wake up from this and feel so silly. Yeah, yeah. It's just lack of your sleep. It's nothing else. Yeah. None of these things are true. Yeah. You have nothing to worry about. Gordon Brown is still your prime minister. <laughs> he, he solved the economic crisis. That's what's going on. I mean, look, if I'm going to imagine, I might want to go further back. <laughs> yeah. 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 Lloyd George. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
Yeah. Uh, Churchill, when we still pretended like there was nothing dodgy about that man. <laughs> just the speech bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> speeches. Let's just concentrate on the nice stuff that we like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, as well. It's the whole idea that, uh, like, it gets back to statues, that we can't uh, imagine that anyone who was useful and good for a war situation and did uh, uh, win for us in World War Two can't have anything bad about them. They they have correct. to be just one thing. They can't be a complex human being. Yeah, correct. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I did a little thing for Radio 4 uh, when this whole Churchill controversy was going on. I went around and asked a bunch of Indian people if they really hated Churchill. And most of them didn't. Uh, they didn't. And they did not hold him responsible for the famine, um, which, of course, he was directly responsible for. Of course, he did it. But he also gave great speeches and he also did all those things. And, uh, you know, not that that should be forgiven, but which of us haven't, you know, don't have some side to ourselves that is horrifying, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, like we bounced around, but I, I did want to get on to you yourself. So uh, how do you start in count comedy? Is that something which is seen as, as a career like there? Is that kind of like what was the path and the scene to to that no not when i started no when i started it was not a thing um I, we, all of us a lot of us the first generation of indian comics all happened because don ward opened the comedy store of london in mumbai that's how a lot of us started um he opened an english language comedy store um right in the middle of mumbai and he invested and he opened this and i used to be a journalist uh, i used to write uh, for for a magazine and and I was freelance journalist and then uh, the, my editor said, well they've opened an English style comedy club in uh, in Mumbai. Do you want to go and write a story about it? I was like, why would anybody open an English comedy club in Mumbai? We don't even have stand up as an art form. They said, no, but I'd just go find out. So I went and it was audition day, and I remember meeting Don and he said. Uh, yeah, it's lovely, but I'm not, uh, I was short of people auditioning, so I'm not going to give you any article till you audition. I said, but what, what, what? Yeah, I'm not here for whatever. And he said, no, no, I want you to audition. So um, I did. And initially, the whole plan was to fly down English comics every weekend. So, um, I, you know, I got to see some people that, like in any other context, would just not be in India, like uh, Mickey Flanagan, some big names. Alistair Barry came down. Uh, oh, God, Paul Thorne. Like an endless, endless set of like Paul Merton was down. Um, Come to your players. Uh, superb names. And, uh, and then he put me on for five minutes. And Initially, in Mumbai, the reaction was really positive, right? Because uh, people were like, what the hell is this? So for the first six months, it was like a fabulous city thing. You go and listen to English comedy in this niche sort of venue, uh, which looked exactly like a comedy of 300 people. And then I went into the five minutes, and then he said, do 10 minutes. And I was like, oh, this is not going to be anything. This is not going to last you know, how many Indians are there that's going to listen to pure English comedy for year in, year out? That's not going to that's not going to be a thing. So I could just be a journalist by day and keep doing this. And I was completely wrong in that the whole 
comedy movement exploded in India. Interestingly, and I suppose it's only fair, more local comics talking about like local stories became a thing. Also, it became expensive to fly down British comics every weekend. So the whole thing became an Indian comedy space in that a lot of people who were not comedians suddenly became comedians uh, and are now household names in India. And all because Don started that club and slowly English comics stopped flying down and the whole thing was run, you know, as like an Indian comedy club. Then the club shut down, but accidentally they had created like 20, 25 comedy names. And then some, then some went on to YouTube, some went on to film, TV, but it became a movement. And to this day, I don't understand how. Like every day I tell myself, this is it. This is the end of it. This is not a real job. This is not, you know. It's a, and I said this to Don as well. I said, this is not going to last. He said, are you kidding me? This is like London in the 60s. Um, of course, it's going to last. It's going to, and everything he predicted, that it, there were going to be breakaway factions, people would fight, and the club would shut down, and new things would happen, and social media would be the new place, and all of that happened. Uh, sadly, you know, the place, there's no comedy store anymore, so I don't know where the next generation is going to come from, because we're going to be, all of us will be dead soon. But... Uh, <laughs> But that first generation, yeah, we're thankful to the comedy store. I make it sound like a war, don't I? The first generation of soldiers. First generation. Or whatever, the first lot of us in 2010. That's where it happened. And, uh, well, if there's anything I've learned from COVID, like you, you just have to compare anything to a war to get what you want. That's just... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're in a battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frontline workers. Like, you know, I, I fall into using these terms as well. So, yeah, it obviously works. But, uh, so, like, if I understand anything, though, when you told your family they would have been beaming with pride, uh, an Indian family, about uh, yeah. one of Love their it. own going into stand-up. It's doctor, then stand-up comedian, I believe. You know, interestingly, interestingly... Um, my father, it's more, so it has something to do with them being Indians because, but my father's an entrepreneur. So he uh, doesn't mind people taking chances, right? Um, oh, cool. But what is interesting um, is that uh, my father has no notion of the arts. So it's, um, so he's not so much like those Indian fathers that are like, oh, you have to be a doctor engineer because he himself was not from a, a professional background, a salaried background. You know, he started his own business. So he was always a risk taker. So he's up for risks, except he's not from the arts. So he doesn't really think or know that the arts have any money. I have been doing this 12 years, 12 years for a living. Every day he asks me, is there any money in that? Like whatever I tell him. I say, listen, I've got to show up on Amazon. Oh, are you doing it for free? For 12 years, I have lived on my own. <laughs> And had my own life. I bought a house. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. He just does not think that this is a profession. He, uh, I, I just did an entire series, a sitcom in India for Amazon. And my dad yeah. looked at me and he was like, oh, so it's COVID. So that's not paying. So you're doing it for free? Or I was like, I've, I've, for 12 years, I'm doing this for a living. Like, well, why do you think, why would this whole profession exist for free? Or we'll be watching something. Um, so we were watching, there was this big period drama on BBC One called Suitable Boy, which was shot in India, uh, based on a, on a novel. And we were watching it. It's a massive period drama. 
right? Big sets, BBC One, Prestige, Sunday night. And my dad goes, these actors, do they get paid? I was like, he has no understanding of how the arts work. He thinks everyone does it for fun and for free. He's a shipping man. He's from shipping. He just doesn't understand this world. So that that was interesting uh, for me because uh, he just didn't. He thought that that everyone just volunteers or something in the arts. Uh, so you your sitcom you mentioned that going viral, I believe. Yeah, so that was the first one we did about a social media company. So um, yeah. you know, Indian social media is is humongous just because of the number of people, right? Like uh, Facebook, India is Facebook's biggest market. So we did a. Uh, I was very inspired by the office and uh, uh, the British office. And I, I thought it'd be quite a fun idea to do a, a show set in an office where you would go in and they would help you go viral. Like it was a social media office where they would teach you the tools of the trade and make videos for you. Uh, so every week you'd have a new client wanting to go viral. So that's what, so we did a show for Amazon, but then uh, we did another show very recently about a couple getting divorced on Zoom. And that came out last week. And uh, it's basically, um, there's a, a, you probably know this, I, I saw a comedy duo called The Pin. And the they Pin. were doing- oh, yeah, yeah, they've done uh, quite a bit on radio. Yeah, they were doing very yeah. interesting sketches on Twitter uh, or putting it up on Twitter. And I thought, oh, this would be quite interesting to maybe tell a story on Zoom. And uh, so we had two lawyers, a couple they're fighting over an apartment in Mumbai uh, and because court proceedings have moved online the whole thing is on zoom so and of course you then go into the private lives of the lawyers and the couple and all of that stuff and we did 10 episodes 12 minutes each and all the actors shot from home I wrote at home the director directed from home so nobody left home I do love how like there is this uh, just uh, people finding different ways of being able to work somehow during all this. It's uh, like it's kind of part of where this kind of came from, this idea of, of doing this 24 hour telethon. H how did that kind of go down? Like so uh, you like part of what you've said, it seems to be the kind of notion of stand up is quite new in India in general terms. Was it adopted quite easily? And uh, how did that kind of progression work? So that's a great question. Um, so initially, people loved it because it's big cities, you know, people loved it. But the moment, I mean, like, if you think about the art form, what is it, right? It's a man standing on stage talking about this, that, and the other, um, usually naming names and specific places and governments and, you know, like you and I can freely talk about Boris Johnson or whatever, or Churchill. India was not ready for that. Right. Like India was not ready for like a comedy roast, for example, where you would we would just pick on somebody. So there were lots of protests. There were lots of police complaints. There continue to be to this day uh, police complaints, police complaints for a joke against a prime minister. I, I mean, I've written quite extensively about this in different publications about how, of course, it's very funny. But, um, you know, now the whole world is taking offense at different things when the Indian stand up comedy movement was taking place, individual audience members would take offense at a thing because they quite, didn't quite understand what was happening. There's a man telling jokes, other people are laughing. It's not a play. It's not, you know, it's not a TED talk. What is it? You know, like, so people were a bit uncertain. Young people really embraced it, but um, among the police complaints against comedians, um, 
the subjects have been the thing that fascinated me the most. So a comedian nearly got arrested for saying DJs are not real artists. Uh, the Association of DJs in Greater Mumbai filed a police complaint. I love that one. Um, religion all the time. Anything about God leads to a police complaint. Um, usually, now there's almost a pattern to this now. Usually there's never imprisonment, but there's a lot of sort of noise in the media. The comedian has to go into hiding for a bit. There are lots of threats on social media, and then the whole thing dies down. Any revered historical figure, any jokes about any revered historical figure, always trouble, um, especially if that figure is regionally important. So if he's like an important historical warrior from Mumbai, or, you know, any of that, you, you do that and, you know, we'll kill you and all of that stuff. So uh, it's been an interesting journey for comedy. But, you know, having said that, there are some people who become millionaires from the notoriety as well. You know, are people, uh, their popularity has gone up. You know, so when the whole thing gets forgotten, they're doing the same people because they've gained 10 million followers on Twitter are doing, you know, commercials for gaming apps or whatever. So, so there's the good and the bad. I mean, uh, but it's, it's been an interesting journey. People still take offense, but uh, it's now sort of understood that it's, a, just, it's an art form. So now you don't have to explain to people what is going on in the early days. I remember going to a lot of hotels because we didn't really have comedy clubs and performing. Uh, people didn't know what it was. So, so I remember an old man in Chennai once after the compare came up and started making jokes. He started shouting, what is this? What is this? <laughs> so that kind of thing happened. That <clears throat> people would put us up in, in weird sort of venues. I remember once uh, doing a show where a hotel manager said, you know, we we think it'll be very boring if stand-up just takes place on a stage. Anyone can stand on a stage and perform. So we thought it'd be great if we put you on a little float on the swimming pool at the hotel. And the interesting thing is this is a, a hotel in Delhi and the swimming pool was circular. So what happened is they put you on this float, right? And it's early days. You've quit your job, you know, so you're like, I'll take any gig. You know, you didn't. You know, so you stood on this float and you start saying, hello, good evening, Delhi, etc. And then you float away because it's a circular pool. So you go behind the audience and they're just waiting. And there's a husband, wife, I could hear them. They're saying, he's coming back. He's coming back. <laughs> so the float just kind of going around. It's... So that kind of thing happened. Look, there's some benefits to that. You can do comedy in the round. You can just have audience all around 360 and you just float by as you go yeah that's exactly yeah 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 i'm seeing the benefits here like you yeah, think you're having a bad gig imagine the comedian who didn't get the float who's in the pool yeah, yeah. he's like that guy's ahead of me and is it i he's yeah, doing yeah. better I, I aspire to the float that's who i want to be <laughs> There's, there's something which I really loved about your uh, stand-up special as well. It seemed that um, there was a great deal of British sense of humor I got straight off the bat, but there was something which, even though I don't really uh, know the Indian sense of humor that well, I recognized that that's clearly the Indian sense of humor. And it was just a wonderful mix. I just, um, something very relatable going in was just you going, it's like, 
they go, how are you doing? Yeah, oh, a bit nervous, like, no tie then. You know, there's a kind of very uh, sort of, how do I describe it? A very, very sort of cynical, oh, it's all so, so shit kind of worldview, which is very similar to Britain and India. But you don't often see it in the Indian work that goes abroad. You know, like in the Indian work that goes abroad uh, in film and TV, you see color. You see a lot of color. You see a lot of weddings. You see a lot of great food. You see a lot of dancing. You know, you see Indian characters who are really good people doing good things. And that's all true, I'm sure. But you don't see um, that very sort of similar strain that British humor has, which is, ah, this is just shit. You know, like, there's that in India, you know, that that sense of very sort of deadpan cynicism, um, which I really enjoy, but I never see it in anything. You know, I, I um, everything I see, say, on the BBC about India is just joyous and colorful and, and um, just, I don't see that much deceit and cynicism, uh, which... Uh, I see in a lot of other British shows, and I see a lot of similarities in our kinds of comedy. So it's uh, there are comedians, there are Indian comedians doing that now, which I'm really sort of pleased about. Young comedians who are taking that very sort of miserable sense of you know Britishness that oh, what's the point, you know that kind of thing, and bringing it into Hindi comedy, which I love. You know, I think that's great. There was like there was one shot which I absolutely love. Like uh, everyone's having a good time, everyone's laughing. Like the the gig's going great, and you just have one shot of this yeah. very impressively mustachioed man, yeah. and yeah. he turns to the camera, not laughing one iota. He's just looking like, what? Yeah. Why are you bothering me with this? <laughs> yeah, just... and he had a plate of food. So he's an uncle. He's an Indian uncle that we cast in that role. Uh, we actually cast him because we thought it'd be great to have one old man just eating, just not giving a shit. Because that's how it used to be when we did real shows. So Kunal Kamra, who directed it, is a colleague and a comedian, uh, and a very famous comedian. And we both had shows like that where there'd always be some grumpy Indian uncle. And he just wouldn't be impressed with anything, you know? So he thought if we ever did a special, we should just cast him, you know, because he just... I remember doing a show somewhere and I was talking about something and there was one Indian uncle just drunk, right? And I've, I've seen British audiences, you know, over the years, drunk, but the heckles are quite creative. Like, you know, they've had a few, but they're listening. You know, they're still there. You know, they've paid the money. They'll see your full show, whether you're in a pub or, you know, doing an Edinburgh thing. Um, they're there for that purpose. The Indian uncle, he's just come for a drink at the bar. No one told him it was comedy. He has to tolerate this nonsense, right? So he feels he has the agency to say anything, right? He doesn't care. So I was once doing a show and this uncle got up from the bar, came straight up to the stage and just said to me, change the topic. Change the topic. He didn't feel it was a stage that there were some boundaries between us that he couldn't do this. Ah, just came straight up. Change the topic. So we figured we needed to cast a guy just doing that. You know, that sort of, that face. I love that sort of, that Indian face that's never impressed like that. And it, <laughs> I think there's something to, to what you were saying before about, uh, like, uh, just it because stand-up is a relatively new thing there. Like, it, 
the stage you were on didn't seem that separated from the audience. Like, like oh. at any moment, any of them could go up and go just, no, not so keen on that one, just like you're describing. I've, I've even seen worse. I remember at a restaurant, this is a, a, it's almost become like a famous tale in the comedy circuit in India. There was a young kid who was doing an open mic at an Italian restaurant in North Mumbai, and he was swearing a lot, right? <laughs> and the patrons, and it was advertised as a comedy night, comedy dinner, you know, like standard, you know, what you'd have in the UK. So this one patron was very, very unhappy at the swearing. So he went to the, he went on stage, he grabbed the comedian's hand, took him off stage, and brought him in front of his wife and said, apologize to my wife. Apologize for all your profanity. Apologize. And the comedian had to say sorry. He's like, sorry, whatever. And then he's like, okay, now go back and continue. What? That's great. Um, it's madness. It's madness. Just a couple of things I wanted to quickly touch on before we finish. So uh, you worked with uh, Sanjeev Basket on uh, Mumbai Calling. Yeah, they they came they came down and shot that series here. Yeah, I did a bit of writing, and I, you know, I was young and I had no idea how famous these people were. So Simon Blackwell was one of the writers. He went on to write so many things. Um, Veep, Thick of It. He did all those things with Armando Iannucci. And I had no idea. So, you know, we didn't know, right? So at one point he was like, where can I get a good samosa? I said, come, we'll go have a samosa. And then we went off and got a samosa. And I asked him imbecilic things like, uh, so what kind of stuff do you write? You know, like I had no idea. Tracy Ullman was in the show. And I remember an Indian actor was... Uh, <laughs> and Tracy Ullman, she was the producer's wife. And uh, was just in for the weekend because the whole cast and crew stayed for six months. Sanjeev Bhaskar, of course, you know, a lot of people know him in India. You know, he's just a genius. Like we've been fans for a long time. So he yeah. was different. He was recognized. Everyone knew who he was. But a lot of the other people, Indian audiences didn't know, right? So the first table read, so it was cast with a lot of well-known Indian theater actors. Um, Ratna was a wonderful actor and a friend. She turns to Tracy Ullman, who just does a table read to help out the producer, her husband. She turns to Tracy Ullman and be like, you're very good. You should act professionally. And Tracy Ullman says, you know, I just don't get the time. <laughs> oh, I love it. And, um, uh, oh, that's, I'm sorry. I've completely lost my train of thought of where I was going for next. I think I may have actually just lost the plot of this just very moment. <laughs> you know what can get you back on track is just okay. saying Boris Johnson's name yes. 24 no. hours nonstop. If you, if you say it three times, let alone nonstop, he appears. It's like a, an evil bird. <laughs> uh, like no, I've got it. Yeah. Yeah. My, my mind is back. Sorry. Uh, the Bugle, of course. Like, uh, How did you uh, first uh, get to meet um, Andy Saltzman and how did that all come about for you? So Andy, um, he's quite well known in India for his cricket commentary. He likes he, cricket. He never mentioned. It never, it never comes up. It never comes up. He should bring it up more often than the Bugle. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He should. He just yeah. never does it. Um, so I knew of him. And then he had come down to do a cricket stand-up show. And then somebody said, you guys should meet because your, your, your styles, your things you guys talk about are quite similar. 
And then they, they booked us for a tour. And we went on tour together. We did Mumbai, Delhi, Calcutta. We did four cities. And I was a fan. I used to listen to The Bugle. And I was a fan. So I said, uh, are you Andy Zaltzman of The Bugle? He said, yes. And uh, and then we went on this uh, on this tour where, as far as I remember, Andy was frightened for most of it because our driver, uh, the person, the organizer of the shows who was also driving us, was a mad person. He was just a mad person. So as we would drive from town to town, we would just, uh, you know, we just cling to dear life. Like, so So we bonded over the fact that we might be dead. <laughs> that's, that's what, it was like a horrible version. You know, there's a British film called The Trip with Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon and they yes. go on this journey and yeah. they're friends. And just, just, it's that, but with the, the certainty of the loss of life. <laughs> So that that's where we really became friends. And then we did a Radio 4 show together. And now we might be doing another one. Um, and I'm always trying to organize something or the other for Andy to come and perform here because he has quite a large fan base for his cricket here. Uh, so they expect him to do cricket jokes. And uh, he does a specific uh, sort of routine around Indian cricket commentators, which is a huge hit. Because Indian cricket commentators say a lot of nonsense. They use a lot of metaphors that make no sense. And they're quite revered here. So, you know, it's hard for Indian cricket fans to make fun of them. But so Andy can get away with it. It's sort of the reverse of Empire. Well, you see, what I love about working with Andy Saltzman is not only will you have a great time while you're working with him, I understand the severance package. If you stop working with him, you get a late night talk show once a week in America. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Every every single one. Every single one. Yeah, Actually, yeah. interestingly, right, John Oliver first, but Nish Kumar has a show in America now. He does right? on Kobe. Good morning, right? America. So, yeah, so Nish is doing it. So maybe it's a whole trend. It's Maybe it's not just uh, one. Maybe it could be everybody. Yeah, I mean, Nish, oh, Nish is just fabulous. He's just one of those comedic minds like uh one of his favorite bits which he does is when he's starting his act he says it's like uh, he talks about different races and definitely goes like we got this person that person and whatever the hell i am <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 now see like nish right is such a, a strong political comedian right yeah. and and his politics are so clear and he knows what he's talking about that's what i meant about freedom of speech i think if nish was in India um, in terms of like that kind of politics, that kind of politics, there would definitely be a police complaint of some kind. Yeah. So, th so that's what I mean is, is um, it's what in, you can or can't say in a certain country, you know, like uh, for a political comedian, right? But, but it's so interesting to hear his perspective on British politics because you know, there are two or three people, you know, whose comedy I love on British politics. You know, he's one of them. Matt Ford is the other. You know, like they have such a strong um, sort of knowledge base on what they're talking about. And I love that. Yeah, I think what like he and you share is just a perspective. Like there's definitely uh, somewhere you're coming from. So whenever like it's really nice, like what like you were saying, like I really enjoy hearing about British 
politics from an outside perspective. It's why I think like um, Trevor Noah is so good on the Daily Show in America. It's it's someone not from there commentating on it, and yeah. that's a much more interesting viewpoint than like John Stewart. No doubt was a legend, but uh, I think what Trevor Noah does somehow gets to be even more interesting coming not coming from there. Correct. There is a perspective. Exactly. I mean, see, the thing is, the difference is. Um, I am an outsider, right? Like I was born in India. I was raised in India. Um, I, I now in the last few years spent half the year in Britain. So I'm interested in both cultures equally. And I'm, I'm very interested in how the two cultures are connected, you know, like both from history and from present day politics. I'm very connected in that. Whereas someone like Nish is British. He was born and raised um, in Britain, but of uh, Indian parentage, right? So his perspective is entirely British on politics, but his parents' perspective, you know, would, would perhaps, you know, have an Indian viewpoint to it. And that mix gives a very different perspective to politics than sort of my knowledge base, you know. So, so, so they're both very different in the way they look at politics, you know, the way uh, the right and left wing interact in Britain and the way he talks about it is not, it's not knowledge I have, you know, it's like, I can talk about how British politics affects India or how India is affecting British policy, you know, like, like the more international side of it, you know, which is what I'm seeing from where I am. Uh, one thing I like to do to end these little chats is to ask a bit of advice from my guests. And I just, just ask something based on our chat. And it's just, just an interesting little way of, of finishing these things out. But one thing I want to ask you about, because you were one of the earlier uh, people to work in stand-up comedian in India. Tell me a bit, bit about something about uh, starting something new that isn't really known. Like like founding something from scratch that not only are you doing something new, it is new to do. I mean, you know, if, if I can only talk about stand-up comedy and um, I, <laughs> the interesting thing is the first few years um there's as much as there is bewilderment from an audience like uncertainty like what is this there's also a lot of curiosity so you know a lot of times you'd get a lot of silence in shows but also you'd get a lot of shows because people are not sure now people have favorites and now you know it's a thing now right so there's a system and a mechanism and festivals and now it's just like everywhere else in the world initially it was like um I, the best way I can describe it is I remember getting a call from a, a spare parts company at, at an automobile company in the middle of India, in Indore. And the guy called me and said, uh, sir, last year we had a musician. The year before we had a dance uh, for our annual Christmas party. Um, we hear that you, you do something. <laughs> uh, could you describe what it is you do? So I said, well, it's called stand-up comedy. You stand up and tell jokes. And there was a pause on the other side and he said, well, is that it? <laughs> I said, pretty much. He said, no, I think we'll get a juggler. So, you know, it's a bit like that. It's a bit like that. But I, I wouldn't, I mean, if this is advice that goes out to people who, you know, are trying something for the first time, eventually, you know, the thing succeeds. It somehow succeeds. Like, you know, like some people drop out. The thing, it never, it, it succeeds in a way that you never thought it would. And it, it's never the people that you thought would succeed, succeed. But the art form sustains. I mean, I'm just 12 years down looking at stand-up in India. 
it's not the art form that the comedy store started, but in some tangential way, the thing they wanted, which is comedy to explode in India, happened. Yeah. I mean, the one, uh, and by the way, sir, when you come to write your autobiography one day, please make the title, No, I think we'll get a stand up. No, I think we'll get a juggler. Get a juggler. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they got a juggler as well. And I think it would did much better than I would have. I think it was a very good juggler. <laughs> Where do we hire him? No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> what about the you want to plug before we go? Sorry? Have you got anything you want to plug before we go? Oh, uh, what do we have coming up? Um, uh, nothing right now. Uh, I do a podcast called Our Last Week on Spotify where every week we discuss conundrums going on in India uh, with a fellow uh, Bollywood actor, Kunal Roy Kapoor, who's not a comedian. And for anyone interested in, in odd, awkward things going on in India on a weekly basis, they can, they can tune in if they want. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you for joining me and uh, helping me with my uh, little show here. And um, I'll speak to you again soon. Take care. Thank you. It was great being here. Please drink lots of water and good luck for the next few hours. And it's fantastic. Thank you. Yo, Chuck, what's the move, man? I was on my way up here to the studio, you know what I'm saying? And this brother stopped me. Hi, I'm Dr. Squee, and you're listening to The Bear. Rawr. That was James Dean Bradfield on TFI Friday from many years ago. And uh, it's his version of Last Christmas. But uh, don't worry. If you're playing the game this year, you haven't been sent to Whamageddon. That only counts if it's the original Wham version. And prior to that, you heard Harder Than You Think by Public Enemy. Absolutely barnstorming track. And obviously before that was my interview with Anavab Powell. Thank you very much, Anavab. We had such a great time talking and uh, my voice just about recovered from that 24-hour marathon. We've had one more answer to our big question of the week. That was, of course, where have you travelled for Christmas? Now, Zach Mann's answer was sort of the opposite of what I asked, but I'll allow it. He's put two places we didn't visit were the Philippines, since no one goes home there for Christmas. Apparently, that's where his, uh, what, she, what he calls She Who Must Be Obeyed is from. Uh, because the tickets cost too much and the airlines are full. And the other is the UK, because the space aliens are always invading the UK during Christmas. Yes, if you watch Doctor Who, you'll know that to be true. Um, we've got a couple minutes left. Look. Let's just try and quickly sneak in one extra track. Just, just for you guys. This is Lizzo. Good as hell. I do my hair toss. Check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Good as hell. Hair toss. Check. Baby, how you feeling? And just like that, guys, we are out of time. I'd like to thank my guest that this week uh, to Al Galpin, of course, our station manager, and to uh, Anivab Pal, the wonderful stand-up comedian. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening and writing in. In a world, of course, where you can be anything. This week, remember, be kind. I've been Doug Scree. That was my show. I'm not trying to win. I'm not doing this because I want to beat someone. Or because I hate someone. Or because, because I want to blame someone. It's not because it's fun. God knows it's not because it's easy. It's not even because it works. Because it hardly ever does. I do what I do because it's right, because it's decent, and above all, it's kind. It's just that, just kind. Hey, you know, maybe there's no point in any of this at all, but it's the best I can do.
Why not? Just at the end. Just be 